0: and welcome to another episode of Resilient and Real. I'm very excited to be here with you today. I'm Veronica Kelly, the Behavioral Health Director for San Bernardino County, and we have our guest today, Tony Hoffman, who we are super excited to have here. He's going to be sharing more of his story during Recovery Happens, which this year is scheduled for September 18th. So let me just start. Uh, Thanks, Tony, so much for being here. And maybe you could just uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I am a former professional BMX racer, I'm currently a motivational speaker on mental health and addiction. I've also raced BMX professionally for several years, and started a nonprofit organization centered around action sports that worked with at-risk kids in Fresno County. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my main focus now is my speaking, and I imagine we'll be talking a lot about my own struggles with uh, addiction and mental health on the show.
0: You are um, a local boy, grew up in Clovis, California, in, in Fresno County. Uh, my husband's from the Central Valley as well, in Modesto. And Fresno really is very similar to San Bernardino County. Um, but even more similar than that is disease that runs through many of our families. And so some diseases run in families like heart disease, obesity, and of course, addiction. So can you share a little bit with our listeners about your own family's prevalence with addiction?
1: Yeah. So my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, He wasn't a Monday through Sunday alcoholic. He was a binge drinker and it was mainly uh, on the weekends. Um, But I saw him, you you know, a lot of my youth was uh, seeing dad partying or seeing dad uh, extremely drunk uh, on the weekends. And his mother was a closet pill popper, but also an alcoholic. And her father uh, was an alcoholic. And that's as far back as I've been told through my, my aunt and then my father. And so um, kind of the addictive behaviors uh, were modeled to me. And uh, also with addictive behaviors, I, I experienced a lot of probably similar traumas that my father experienced from uh, his family and then so on and so on, just with how um, traumas repeated through family cycles.
0: Okay. Could you speak a little bit about what the traumas were and how you think that impacted your addiction?
1: Yeah, sure. My my dad and mom were both workaholics. And so a lot of my trauma was um, abandonment through uh, unintentional emotional neglect. And so as I experienced uh, emotional neglect through my teenage years, um, it was a very confusing time for me because I was trying to balance or hone in on a perspective of what I was experiencing around me, whether it was mainly through institutions. Sports was was. Let me say this. I was an athlete and sports was my life. I wasn't very good in school. And so my time through school was really my involvement in sports. And so I'm I'm beginning to, as a young child, move into my teenage years, and I'm starting to frame perspective, and I'm starting to build belief systems about who I am, what I'm capable of doing, and I'm having these challenging moments that every person that's listening right now, including yourselves as a behavioral health, health um, clinician, uh, we all experience these uh, trials or struggles or adversities in life, and some of these ones that started as I was a teenager um, I needed some kind of framing or perspective that I was going to build these experiences um, with and not having my parents a part of that framing process because they were so immersed in their work. And I understand why they were immersed in their work now that I'm an adult. I was ill-equipped, right? I, I was ill-equipped in understanding how failure worked. I was ill-equipped in understanding how people Would push me to be my best, help me reach my potential, and that people weren't out to get me. Um, I was ill equipped in uh, emotional awareness, how to uh, identify emotions, how to allow emotions to exist, uh, identify them, and then move forward from them. And so I didn't have the tools to frame. Uh, this life experience around me correctly. And really what, what happened was, is I I developed a self-limiting belief system. And that belief system was centered around, I can't, I won't, and I'll never be able. And that was because I didn't have the structuring that a a young individual needs. And it doesn't matter who you are. Again, we all need these care, nurture, um, compassion, love, um, mechanisms in our life to help us build this frame that says, I can, I will, and I'm able. And so early on, I was starting to experience um, this trauma that my father and mother most likely experienced and their uh, parents most likely experienced which would put me in an emotional deficit is what I call it. I was experiencing emotions that were causing disturbances at such a degree, I was unable to cope with these emotions. And so I found myself at a deficit. And when I found myself at a deficit, that's when I was trying to find something to change the way that I felt. And those were kind of handed to me, right? You you see uh, addictive behaviors that run in families. It's a cycle. Families drink throughout generations families smoke weed throughout generations families uh, use heroin or cocaine or or methamphetamine or in modern day era uh, xanax and adderall and um, these medications that can be prescribed by a doctor uh, to cope with these emotions. And so the behaviors that I saw were through my father. My father uh, used drinking to cope with his social anxiety that I also had to cope with um, some of him his inadequacy issues. And so I looked for things to change the way that I feel that were in the form of substances. It didn't start until uh, I was 18 years old, but in the teenage years, I framed the building with I can't, I won't, and I'll never be able. And the first shift that t- occurred was my behavior. I really started to stop caring in the classrooms, to stop having any kind of falling in line or order with, with individuals that were um, teachers or coaches and things like this. And that was all a result of me um, believing that I did not have um, the love and care that I should have. And if I didn't have that, then what should I care about anything else?
0: Yeah, that's. I think you speak about universal things that many of us don't like to talk about, uh, especially when you were talking about, you know, your families. Uh, your parents were really focused on work, and they needed to do that. And then families that are living uh, with addiction—that's what their focus is as well, right? Like your your father, my father as well, who's a, a, who was an alcoholic. That does contribute to. The behavior we learn as children because we take our cues from our parents. And so if our parents are not emotionally available, as you've stated, then we're going to learn that we shouldn't be or we can't be emotionally available um, as well. It's interesting that you talked about feeling as if you couldn't or you weren't good enough. I also addiction is the disease of my family. And I have a daughter who's in recovery from a heroin addiction. And she always talks about how she just felt like she couldn't. Mm -hmm in school she just didn't feel confident but when she used she felt invincible and she felt confident except what she didn't see that we all looked at her and saw that she was drowning that she was she didn't she might have felt like she was invincible for that you know 20 minutes of high but she didn't look that way and she didn't act that way so it never manifested totally with her um As a person in recovery, because I think this is central to your story, what advice would you give related to goals? You know, you just talked about thinking that you couldn't and then something happened and then you knew that you could. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to folks related to goals, realistic ones and then aspirational ones?
1: Sure. I I think that goal setting is a staple in anybody's or should be a staple in anybody's recovery. I have a recovery, my own personal recovery model that will be um, built into a treatment center that I'm actually getting ready to launch hopefully next year at some point. Um, I think the 12 steps are great and should be used. I think that uh, the spiritual route, whether it's through religious institution or spiritual means of other types are absolutely important. But when we talk about goals, we're talking about life skills and when we talk about goals, like you said, there's aspirational goals that are, you know, very lofty and, and, uh, career and outward or, uh, oriented. Um, but we also have inward goals and then we also have, um, inward micro goals. And my goal, my focus has always been on micro goals. And so when I talk about goals, I never, I don't want people to think when I first started goals, it wasn't necessarily the Olympics, Right, start, My story has been dubbed from prison to the Olympics, uh-huh. and that's an extremely lofty goal. But my first goal while I was in prison before I could get to the Olympics was to learn how to brush my teeth every single day. Right. And so when, I ta- when we think about goals, our goals should be very micro- their application externally. It's like, I need to make my bed. I need to organize my stuff. I need to get better at time management. I need to show up to work on time. I need to be more focused at work. I need to change my attitude. I need to do all of these um, very little things that you can focus on one at a time. Over time, as you're completing some of these goals, you're adding new micro goals into the process. Let's take an individual, for example, that has terrible time management skills, an awful attitude, is unorganized and sloppy with their uh, their clothes and, and, and their appearance with themselves, right? right? They first focused on their time management and showing up to, to work or showing up to their commitments. There is a dignification that comes with overcoming a struggle that they used to have and let's say they mastered that right and, they, and then they started changing their attitude they stopped they stopped putting energy into victim mentalities why is this always happening to me this will never work out always something happens to me and they started changing their uh, their their attitude to look to a more positive light um this is just a test for me to learn how to become better um, it doesn't matter how many times i failed. I'm going to figure out how to do this once. This person's not actually attacking me. They're trying to help me. I need to listen to what they're saying constructively and do what they're saying and get better so they don't have to tell me this anymore. Um, and then an individual uh, may start organizing their stuff at home or organizing their stuff at work. And now they're having less anxiety because they're seeing things that are more in order. They stopped losing things. They're They're not running behind anymore. Their attitude is better. And then they start to take care of their outward appearance and it doesn't have to be name brand clothes or this or that, but you know, taking care of their stuff and cleaning their stuff. Over time, you just changed an entire person, but you changed it by just showing up to work on time. And that's what I think the, the foundation of goals is. It's a micro process that you continue. You don't just learn how to show up to work on time and then say, I did it. Right. We're on a we're on a we're on a long term self-improvement journey. Also, inwardly, you know, for me, it wasn't just organizing my stuff and brushing my teeth and making my bed and doing these things. It was also why do I feel the way that I feel? I went on a journey of understanding why I felt the way that I felt and why I reacted to the feelings that I felt. And that has been a never ending journey because once I start to understand one thing, then something new pops in. You know, I just got a new therapist since I moved out to Texas and I've been um, preliminarily diagnosed with moderate to severe PTSD, something that I had never been diagnosed with by another therapist. And it's in a whole new arena Of learning about myself and understanding some of these behaviors that I have, some of these emotional um, tornadoes that I experience and why they're happening—it's—it's not a destination that we get to. We get to say, "Hey, we're there." Now, on the aspirational side of things, um, I think that these are also something that we need to have, but that need and what that looks like for every individual should be curated and manifested specifically for that person. What does that person do? Where are they trying to go? And what does that aspirational goal look like? An apartment is no different than the Olympics for some individuals. And that's completely cool. You don't have to go to the Olympics. For myself, with my athletic gift for um, the potential that I had as an athlete and even as a coach, the Olympics was right in line with what I was doing. Because understand this, when I got to the Olympics, it wasn't like my life was over in, in such a positive way that, again, I've reached this destination where uh, I made it, mm-hmm. right? It, it, right. It, the Olympics in itself isn't the fulfilling uh, purpose I've been looking for in my life to just end everything and everything be all right. Um, but it was a cornerstone or a milestone, excuse me, uh, in my life that I've been able to achieve. And so um, aspirational goals, I think, are the ones that stretch you out. They're the ones that um, really put you in a place where you get uncomfortable in your micro process of growth. And and if you don't get there, it has nothing to do with who you are. It just has everything to do with what's going on right now and what you can learn from your failures. Goals are micro. Aspirational goals are absolutely needed, um, but we must be able to hone in on honesty with ourselves and understanding um, what aspirational goals are for ourselves and not compare them to what they are for somebody else.
0: Right. That, that is excellent that you say that, because uh, a couple of things, that recovery is a journey. It's not a destination. I know so many folks who think that once they get clean and sober, that the world will now be a perfect place where everything they've ever dreamed of can happen. And that's not recovery, <laughs> right? That's no. kind of the setup again to start your relapse because um, life isn't perfect, but it's getting through those things. So uh, also super important what you said about incremental, um, goals because uh, for folks in treatment, that's what we're teaching, right? In treatment. I know you've been through treatment, but you know, it seems like a, a pain in the ass to have to sit in a group for 15 minutes, but real life requires you to pay attention to some stuff. Right. When you were saying about brushing your teeth, when you were in in prison that you had to, that was your goal. And that makes perfect sense for where you are at that point, right in, in your day. So, uh, so great to have you outline how goals really help get us places. I, as a, a person who's receiving treatment um, for your PTSD right now, you have a treatment plan that you're working on. So at least you have an idea of where you want to go.
1: And I, I, I want to say this real quick. Sure. A lot of individuals are looking for motivation to, to, to get it done. A lot of people are looking for motivation to carry them um, to the Olympics. They're looking for motivation to carry them to whatever their uh, aspirational goal is. And and I just want people to know that motivation, it's a mirage, it's not real. What you're looking for is discipline. You're looking for the ability to do good work when you don't want to do good work at all. I know too many people that think that I can just take one day off. You know, I'm, I, my girlfriend has a 10 year old son. And uh, he's overweight. And so I'm taking him to the gym. And he's like, you know, I'm going to take today off. It's just one day. And I have to explain to him that that mentality, it's just one day, actually equals 200 days out of a year. When you compile them, we will come up with justifications to not do good work when we don't want to do work. And as a result, we never see ourselves catapulted into this realm of um, execution that we see these other people doing things and we think, I got to have what they have. I got to have what they have, but we don't understand that what they have is momentum. It's not motivation. It's momentum. It's their ability to do good work when they don't want to do good work and they do it no matter how they feel. Like I say, day after day, after day, after day, Mm -hmm. and over time momentum carries where things in the universe or God or however you want it starts serving you, Uh, more opportunities as a result of your ability to consistently complete a task. So with goals, you must have discipline.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And that brings me to my next question. So um, some folks will say, well, my drug of choice was heroin. So I only smoke a little weed now. So I'm still doing okay." But in treatment, we really teach about that being a really slippery place for folks. So how do you stay drug free? How do you stay clean and sober?
1: For me, it's therapy. For me, it's 12 steps. For me, it's um, support groups. And for me, it, it's 100% abstinence. Um, I am hundred percent a supporter of, uh, medical assisted treatment. I think that, uh, we've come a long way in medical assisted treatment and there's opportunities, uh, for heroin addicts to receive medication that can, uh, take them away from the dangerous drugs, especially now with fentanyl being so popular, uh, now in California, it's becoming more popular uh, as we've seen through the Midwest the last six years. But I do agree that, you know, it's a slippery slope when you say, I don't use heroin, but I drink, I don't use heroin. Um, but I smoke. When I hear an individual say that, one, I, I, I don't. When I hear they say they're sober, I, I don't think that they're sober. I think that you just smoke weed, or I think that you just drink. That's to me, recovery is a journey of coping with feelings that once caused you to have to change the way that you felt. Now, it doesn't mean that you're less of a person if you just smoke weed or you drink. I'm not the one to judge somebody, but I, I, I think that we've we've re- reached a day where. We're allowing people to frame things however they want uh, because their feelings matter and everybody's feelings matter. But for my sobriety, it has been abstinent base and and I do what I can through therapy, support groups, 12-step programs, um, and a church as a religious institution. I hate to use the word religion because I'm more about spiritual relationship than religion uh, to learn how to cope with uncomfortable feelings. And the more the more I decide that I'm not going to pick up anything to change the way that I feel or to deal with a day or an experience that I'm having, the stronger and more resilient I become at managing disturbing emotions. The more I become a master of managing emotions, the easier it has become to not need to want to pick up anything over the extended time. And that's been for 14 years for myself. Wow. Um, and, and, and if I can do it, somebody that was exactly. shooting gutter water for heroin, exactly. uh, anybody can. Yeah. It just comes down to making sure that we align ourselves with mentors um, that push us, that want us to grow and want us to reach levels that we, we deserve to be at within ourselves and, and, and not surrounding ourselves with individuals that, that want us to be comfortable all the time. Yeah. because it's just not realistic. Exactly, It's just not how life works.
0: Exactly. And that's a great point about um, not needing to feel comfortable all the time, because we won't change if we don't have a little bit of discomfort and we all need to, to grow. So, yeah. so as we wind down, um, what would you say to 16-year-old Tony, knowing what you know today about your, your current age, Tony?
1: This is always a good question because I feel like it's never the same answer um, with me because I don't get asked it all the time, but I do get asked it. Um, I I always would say that your attitude drives every choice that you make in your life. Um, Take a look at your attitude and make sure that it's uh, in aligned with uh, choices that are going to empower you. Um, But I would also say that the normal you are looking for uh, doesn't exist. Um, that every individual that you think doesn't feel what you feel, uh, is, is a lie to yourself. Um, I would tell myself to not count other people's money. I would tell myself, um, focus on my gifts and learning how to give it to others. Uh, I was a very selfish person at 16. Um, but I would say if, if there was one thing, if there was only one thing that I could say, it would be that, um, You're not alone in how you feel. You just need to talk to somebody.
0: Well, I I cannot thank you enough, Tony, for taking time to speak with us on on our podcast. Um, For our listeners, Recovery Happens, our celebration uh, will occur September 18th. It's going to be virtual again this year, but we have some great events we are planning leading up to it. Remember to wear purple, the color of recovery throughout the month. And this year's theme for Recovery Happens is recovery is for everyone every person, every family, every community. And that really, uh, Tony, speaks to what you just said, that no one is alone in their journey through recovery. Lots of folks are here for you. Um, And so uh, with that, thank you again, uh, Tony, for your words of encouragement, for sharing your uh, story of strength, hope, and faith. And for all of our listeners, if you could, you want to hear more, because Tony has a whole lot more to share, he will be one of our presenters on September 18th for our Recovery Happens events. You can find out more information at sbcounty.gov slash dbh for Department of Behavioral Health, and check out all of our social media for um, advisements about when and how you can log in to this amazing event. Again, thank you so much, Tony, for taking time out of your very busy day and for sharing these important words with our community.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Resilient and Real. If you'd like to share your story of resiliency, please send us an email at dbh-publicrelations at dbh dbh-public- Sbcounty.gov. Plus, don't forget to follow us on social media to stay updated on all things DBH. We have a lot of exciting things coming up for National Recovery Month and National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Until next time, live life resilient and real.